0: Welcome to great speeches and interviews on Axis Sacramento and The Voice. I'm Steve Lerman. Today's program is Who Scares Us and Why? Most Americans fall victim to the hype, intensity, and propaganda that accompanies political panics. Mark Stein examines American political panics over witches, Indians, Masons, Chinese, Socialists, Latinos, Muslims, gay marriage, and more. Mark closely examines just what it is that causes us as a country to overreact on the base of widespread and potentially profound changes.
1: So when I set out to write this book, uh, kind of my underlying question was, uh, uh, why do political panics happen? And I have to tell you that what I ended up finding is not what I, quite what I expected to find. I began by looking at elements such as, so do we get them at times of political hardship? Uh, or is it off, more often is it uh, influential voices, politicians or people in the media of one type or another, uh, planting fears? Uh, or? Conversely, is it grassroots conflicts, economic conflicts that bubble up and, and become widespread panics. Uh, uh, also, at the, at the outset, I was looking to see if there was a, a clear distinction between alarm and panic, uh, because not all political alarm is, is necessarily panic. What was in my head at that point were things like, you know, after 9-11, uh, we had good reason to be concerned about... Terrorism in the United States. Uh, In 1949, when the Soviet Union detonated an atomic bomb, uh, you know, my parents' generation had uh, good reason to be concerned, if not alarmed, that we were no longer the only nation on our earth with this extremely powerful weapon. On the other hand, in 1834, when a mob burned down the Ursuline Convent in Somerville, Massachusetts, that was panic. So, how did we get for instance, to that point in 1834. And and, uh, as an example of kind of the things that go on in the book, I want to spend a few minutes looking at that event, the burning of that convent. Uh, And one of the first things I didn't expect to bump into, I bumped into with that event, which is rather the national hardship contributing to it, National success contributed to it. In fact, three national successes, if you will, contributed to it. Now, the first of them was we won the revolution. And once we won the revolution, suddenly there was concern that this freedom of religion that we established in this country, not the first country to do so, but that we established in this country, England had it as well, created a fear of Catholics. If enough Catholics start coming in, the Pope may end up running the country via, you know, controlling the, the votes of, of, of these uh, Catholics. Uh, Five of the first 13 states had in their state constitutions uh, uh, a stipulation that only a Protestant could be elected to to state office. Uh, And indeed, Catholics did start coming into this country. And I'm talking before the failure of the potato crop in Ireland in the 1840s. Uh, Almost right off the bat, Catholics started coming in because of uh, turmoil in France surrounding the French Revolution. And Catholics from Ireland started coming in because of turmoil, political turmoil in Ireland. Uh, with conflicts uh, with England, Uh, uh, and as that was happening, two more national successes kick in. The first is in 1803, the Louisiana Purchase. We suddenly have all this new land, and in 1825, we complete the Erie Canal, which connects the original, if you will, body of land in this country to all this new land, And and, and this is where people are moving. And a lot of these newcomers who are Catholic are moving there, along with others. And there's this fear that, oh my gosh, we may lose all this. All this that we've gained, we may lose. So we come to 1834, and here is a case of, indeed, an influential voice inflaming the, these, these fears, though he is not the only influential voice to be doing it. But is a man named Lyman Beecher. He was a very prominent minister in Boston, highly respected, father of Harriet Beecher Stowe, and uh, if any of you have heard of the abolitionist Henry Ward Beecher, was also uh, was, was his child. And he gave a sermon. Beginning of the sermon said, first line, was that the Catholic system is averse to liberty. So that is the point of his sermon. And he says, uh, under uh, the influence of their priesthood, they may be induced to act as one. So here's one of the recurring elements I start finding a lot of across the board in panic. is the use of absolutes. And the absolute here is that all Catholics think and act alike. He then goes on in the sermon and he uses what I call a blank to be filled in something else. You'll hear me talk about a lot in the next 20 minutes or so uh, as a recurring element. He says, How many presses might they influence by their promised patronage? How many mechanics, merchants, lawyers, physicians in any political crisis might they reach and render timid? I don't know how many. He doesn't tell us how many. That's for us to fill in. And there's no way we can do that without our personal fears and needs participating in the way we fill that that in. He then goes on to actually hearken to national success. He says, it is the light of our republican prosperity that is sending earthquakes under the the foundation of their thrones, meaning the popes, I guess, and they have absolute no hope of rest, but by the absolute extinction of our light. A little further in this sermon, it's a fascinating sermon from the point of view of this book anyway. He brings up something that is one the only element of this whole topic that is particularly American, because I believe that this kind of panic is a human behavior. Uh, I don't think it's a, a conservative behavior, a liberal behavior, American behavior. It's a human behavior. But there's one piece that is particularly American, though it probably has comparable elements in other countries, other cultures. Uh, and he writes, If this nation is in the providence of God, destined to lead the way in the moral and political emancipation of the world. Let me cut in right there. (laughs) There is a uh, a, a scholar, current scholar, who's Canadian, has a very Canadian name, his name is Sakvan Berkovich. And he wrote a book entitled uh, The Puritan Origins of the American Self. And in this book he argues that when the Puritans founded the Massachusetts Bay Colony, en route, they came with a mission. And it it was articulated en route by John Winthrop, their leader, in a sermon in which he said that in this new land, we are going to create a new Jerusalem, a city on a hill. It's going from New Testament with that phrase. And it will be a beacon to the world of a pure Christianity. And through this beacon, we will bring that light to the world. Uh, 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 what Berkovich argues is that by the time the revolution took place, the people in America had secularized Winthrop's mission and replaced Christianity with liberty and freedom so that we would be a beacon to the world of liberty and freedom, democracy. And through that, we would would bring the light of the one true way to the world. Now, when I read that years ago, not that many years ago, but some years ago, my first thought was, wow, that's a really good point. My second thought, and in many ways the more important, was this little voice inside the middle of my brain that said, but we are the one true way. (laughs) I couldn't shake that, even with Berkovich pointing it out. To this day, I can't. I can't shake that. And I mention that because, at least for me, but I don't think I'm alone, that's how potent that perception of myself as an American is. And Lyman Beecher, when he made this statement in this sermon, went on to say, uh, 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 if in the providence of God we're destined to lead the way in the moral and political emancipation of the world, it is high time she understood her calling and were harnessed to the work. The work is a blank to be filled in. What constitutes the work? Within two days, I believe, if my memory is correct, of this sermon, a mob burned down the Ursuline Academy across the Charles River in Somerville, Massachusetts. Uh, This notion of influential voices such as Lyman Beecher is, of course, not an old one. Let's compare him to someone from the present. Beecher began that sermon by saying, the Catholic system uh, is averse to liberty. In 2011, Newt Gingrich said, I believe Sharia law, is a, here comes an absolute, mortal threat to the survival of freedom in the United States. So we have the same absolute, very, very parallel statement. One is concerned about canon law, and the other is concerned about Sharia law becoming the rule in this country. And in fact, both of them are doing yet another element that recurs a lot, and that's what I call the filtered fact.
0: Great Speeches and Interviews is your source for in-depth information about the economy, war and peace, climate change, and more. Now with more speeches and more interviews than the leading brand, also contains tasty tidbits of humor and song, fortified with more debates than the other brands, and all comparisons are fictional. Broadcast on Sunday from 6 to 8 p.m. on KUBU 96.5 FM. To who scares us and why with Mark Stein.
1: Newt Gingrich is a highly educated man, and I don't for a minute think he's a stupid man. And I think he probably was aware that he was filtering this fact, which, by the way, is another piece here. We, sometimes people are panicked, and sometimes people are availing themselves of panic. And there's really no way to know for sure which is which, because you'd have to climb inside their head, and we can't do that. But I suspect that Newt Gingrich knew he was filtering the following fact. Article 6, Section 2 of the Constitution. It's called the Supremacy Clause, and it says very clearly that the laws of the United States are supreme over any foreign law, that no judge, and it says no judge can rule and give privilege to a foreign law over the laws of the United States. So, in fact, Sharia law can't happen unless we enact it, and then it's American law. Which may be why, in the same statement, Newt Gingrich went on to a very interesting blank to be filled in when he said... Stealth jihadis use political, cultural, societal, religious, and intellectual tools, and then went on and completed the sentence. But whoa, 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 what is a stealth jihadi? A secret. We don't know because they're stealth. The other day, honest, true story about my, 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 my wife sent me and our two sons a, a, a Farid Zakaria column. And said, oh, this is just like we were talking about yesterday involving Obama's restraint, something over-restraint, in not wanting to use military force, and particularly boots on the ground, in various Middle Eastern conflicts. It's great. I I, I still think it's a great article. But maybe he's a stealth jihadi. (laughs) We don't know. Secrecy is very potent. Uh, 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 Think of all the concerns, probably shared in varying degrees by everyone in this room right now, about the NSA which, whether it intends to or not, is a secret place. So what are they up to? And we all are filling in that blank, and our our fears and needs are participating in the way we fill in that blank. And indeed, we don't know. But not all panics emanate from... Uh, 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 influential voices or political leaders, if you will, uh, fanning the fears of people. Sometimes they emanate from the bottom up, indeed sometimes they are grassroots. The one I want to talk about is uh, a panic that existed for a very long time in this country about Chinese. You can almost date it precisely from the discovery of gold in California to December 7, 1941. When suddenly Chinese are cool, it's the Japs. Uh, It's a little oversimplifying both panics. Uh, But indeed it began with the discovery of gold and the gold rush. And it wasn't just Americans rushing out to get that gold. People were coming from all over the world to try to find gold. So the first Chinese to come in any number to this country were men who were uh, gold miners. They set up little mining camps, as did little American mining camps uh, in, in, in mostly California. Uh, And oftentimes there would be conflicts if uh, a group of Americans thought, oh, those Chinese guys might be on to something. And in many, many occasions, they'd go wipe them out or push them out or do whatever they could to get them out. Uh, uh, And oftentimes they would would precede this by passing a resolution, as if somehow this made this violence legal. I want to read to you part of one of these. This was... um, appeared in the San Francisco Bulletin in 1857. just want to read you part of their their resolution, and I'm just going to raise this hand every time there's an absolute in this this little section of the resolution. Uh, Whereas the requirements of patriotism to preserve the inalienable rights of American freemen and hand them down untarnished, To our successors, imperiously demand of us decisive and energetic actions on the momentous question of Asiatic aggression in the mines. Excuse me for a moment, filtered fact. There is no record that exists today, to my knowledge, of Asiatic aggression in the mines. There are a lot of records of, of. American aggression against Chinese in the mines. Then further down the resolution says, therefore we have, and now I'm back into the quoting part, the responsibility of expelling from our midst these intolerable nuisances. Uh, uh, what, what, What started to grow in addition was another element that sometimes will happen in political panics, which is sometimes separate panics will merge. And boy, then things really get potent. In this case, much like the way this industry in this country will outsource work to China because they get cheap labor. Back in the 1850s, corporations, and mainly we're talking railroads, insourced labor, coolie labor, uh, to build the railroads and uh, other tasks and work at wages that, that Amer- Native American white, as you will, uh, men um, would, wouldn't take. Uh, so then the panic starts to really grow uh, and you start seeing in, in places like San Francisco, uh, big mass meetings where fear of Chinese is also getting wedded to fear of capitalists, which has been a long-time panic also in this country. And from among that grassroots comes a number of leaders, but the preeminent one in this particular panic at that time was a man named Dennis Kearney, came out of the ranks of what today we would call the Teamsters Union, and he would give speeches in, 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 in San Francisco filled with the same kind of... Uh, uh, panic-inducing rhetoric that I've been citing, and repeatedly at the end of these speeches, groups mobs would break off, not the whole group, but but sufficient mobs head over to Chinatown, beat the Dickens out of Chinese who happened to get caught on the street, uh, smash and burn their stores, uh, set fire to their homes, uh, uh, and only at that point did the politicians then come on board in this panic. Happened a little earlier in California, but eventually happens here in the nation's capital, when in 1882 Congress passed the Chinese Exclusion Act. It was the first time that the federal government had ever closed the doors of immigration to a group based on their ethnicity. So the federal government is now participating in panic. It's not the first time they participated in panic, but it's the first time in that panic uh, that they uh, participated in it. Uh, There's one other piece in that resolution that maybe slipped by you, so I want to just go back and, re- and, and repeat the phrase because it's the most frequently occurring absolute, in my opinion, in American political panic. Uh, and it's the part where they said, uh, made reference to their, to preserve the inalienable rights of American free men. So they're referencing the Declaration of Independence. To me, the most frequently used absolute in American political panic is the Founding Fathers. And it cuts across time, and it cuts all across the political spectrum. Far left, far right, everything in between. And what is the absolute? The absolute is the implication that the Founding Fathers shared a vision. Well, yeah, they did. They all agreed that we shouldn't be part of England. After that, it's a little hard to know if they agreed on anything. I think they would have had trouble dividing a lunch check, these guys. Uh, 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 And yet, it, it is used so often, as I'm sure you all know,
0: Excuse me, uh, Mr. President. Excuse me, sir. What's on your mind? Mr. President, now that you're out of office, I'd just like to ask you a couple of questions. I mean, about that Monica Lewinsky thing.
2: Who? Come on, Mr. President. How were you able to avoid prosecution? Let me uh, me just check my position statement on that and, um, oh yeah, let's see. I said, uh, it wasn't me. Cause talking in and he got your red hand in creeping with the girl at work. Pictures of you with the fat intern and your wife went berserk How can we forget what you had said to us that night on TV? All this talk of sex was that a right wing conspiracy I'll never admit to you that I got my freak on Republicans would just have another thing to speak on So what if she used me to try a brand new technique on Best for you if this situation not to call for hearings As your president I really know how to play As long as Hillary was out of the way I'd never admit to anything they'd say They'd accuse me and I'd say no way but we caught you in the hallway It wasn't me Heard she did it with you all day It wasn't me What about your office desktop? It wasn't me Heard the sound of your pants Uh-oh, it uh, wasn't me Scandal really caused a big mess It wasn't me We got to see the stained dress It wasn't me Heard the oval office door lock It wasn't me Heard the sound of some boots knock <laughs> Kestark him in and he got your red in, Creeping with the girl at work Pictures of you with the fat intern And your wife went berserk How can you forget what my term did for the economy? All we're asking for is just a bit of an apology. You should tell us you're sorry since you finally got caught. I'm not listening because the babes here in this crowd are so hot.
0: And now, messages from Access Sacramento.